Most of you are aware that I uh, double as an actor, uh, that I perform on stage from time to time. And um, some of you are familiar with uh, this guy who lived about 400 or so years ago. His name was Bill, just like our guest here. Uh, he, he wasn't born 400 years ago. Um, <laughs> close, he's as close to it. Um, but a different guy named Bill Shakespeare. Uh, we might we know, uh, know him as William, but William Shakespeare wrote something that said, all the world's a stage, and all the men and women merely players, they have their exits and their entrances, and one man in his time plays many parts. And I think we find that true of ourselves. Uh, for, for myself, I am uh, foremost a pastor. I am also a teacher. I am also a DJ every once in a while. Um, I also do voiceover work. I do all kinds of things, and with everything that I do, that's a different person. I am required to do different things, and we might not want to admit it to ourselves, but every time we do something that is different, we play a different part, uh, sometimes we act a little differently. Sometimes we do things a little differently. Um, so if I am uh, a teacher and we're having field day, I have to act like I actually want to be out there in the sun <laughs> for field day. And, and I want to act like that I'm having fun and, and get the kids encouraged to have fun. But we do. We put on all of these different hats. And Shakespeare was, was really good at writing characters. He was really good at kind of fleshing out who these people were, even the, even the minor characters. He was really good at um, addressing their, uh, their, their little quirks, their little uh, things that, that they had going on. And sometimes he would use this thing called a play within a play where he would um, actually have actors playing actors playing roles. And it starts to get confusing from there. And of course, one of the most famous was from Hamlet. Hamlet found out that his uncle had killed his father and he wanted to confirm it. So he had his players do a play where a king got murdered by an uncle and, and hilarity ensued. Um, but in essence, Hamlet directs the actors to perform the play. And when we think about storytelling, and we think about the things that we hear, the things that we read, the TV shows, the movies, the things that we watch, we seem to be able to learn some things a little bit better through this storytelling, through this kind of a dramatic uh, presentation. And this morning, we are continuing a sermon series called Lessons of the Good Samaritan. Last week, we uh, saw a little bit of a confrontation between Jesus and this lawyer. Uh, and the lawyer was a little bit offended when Jesus said that God had given his, uh, his secrets, his truth to foolish people, to uneducated people, and have hidden them from the learned like the lawyer was. And we looked at that, and the lawyer asked Jesus this kind of secret to eternal life. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, well, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, uh, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind. And I, I, I just have a feeling that the, uh, the, the lawyer emphasized that word mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. 
And Jesus said to him, you've answered correctly, do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And this is where Jesus breaks away from just answering questions. And instead, he uses a story. He tells the lawyer, and of course, everybody else that's gathered around him, he tells him a story. And we're going to take a look at that story today, and, and all we're going to do today is we're going to figure out who the players are in the story, right? All the men and women merely players. Well, we're going to figure out the players of this story. So we read in Luke chapter 10, verses 29 to 36, Jesus replies to him. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell upon robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, take care of him and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. That's the story, that's it, eight sentences. And this story we have, of course, come to know as the parable of the Good Samaritan, right? We see the Samaritan there, and in just these eight sentences, Jesus tells us a lot. I mean, if we read that story, we can picture in our minds what is happening. So let's take a look at the different characters. And Jesus introduces at least seven different characters in eight sentences. It's amazing. But the first thing he says is, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. So first we meet man. That's his character name, man. Jesus doesn't describe man. He just says, here's man. And he's traveling. Now, usually, if we are reading a story or somebody's telling us a story and they mention a nondescript person, if it's a person of our same sex, we usually will put kind of ourselves or somebody like us into the place of the story at the very beginning, right? A man walked down the street. Can you picture yourself walking down the street? Sure. And usually, even if it's subconsciously, we don't realize it. We kind of put ourselves in that place. But Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus doesn't describe the man at all. In fact, the man is faceless. The man has no distinguishing characteristics whatsoever. And the audience, the people who are listening to Jesus, they are filling in that face, maybe even filling in that body with their own thoughts. And this is what's amazing and incredible about the storytelling that Jesus does in these parables. Jesus leaves a lot open to our own interpretation of who he's talking about. 
So if he tells me that a man is walking down the street or if I'm reading that story in the Bible, a lot of times I'm going to kind of picture somebody that looks like me. And he tells that story and he says that uh, the man was walking. He's going down to uh, Jericho from Jerusalem. And then he introduces a conflict. Man fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now we know there's more than one robber. There might be two, there might be three, there might be a dozen. But Jesus is introducing us to these next people. And what Jesus said was that, that man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, which is a very accurate description, going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Because the 17-mile road between Jerusalem and Jericho, Jerusalem sat on this high hill. And Jericho sat near the Dead Sea. And if you know the geography of the Dead Sea, you know that it's actually below sea level. So this 17-mile road, and you, I don't know if you can really see it that well there, but you descend over a half a mile over this 17-mile walk, and there are a lot of these uh, really craggy kind of hills. You gotta really be careful when you're walking down uh, certain parts. It was very rocky, it was very steep, and the terrain made it treacherous. It made it dangerous for you to walk, even if nothing happened to you. But because of the rocky terrain, because there were all of these big hills and there are all these bluffs and things like that, this made it a perfect place for people to lie in ambush. And they did this, not only with people that were just walking the road, the military, the armies would walk this road between Jerusalem and Jericho. And there were times when armies would set themselves up in ambush to wait for the army to walk down the road. So this man, we call him man, he's walking down this road and he's ambushed. And we read that he's beaten, and that he's stripped, and that he's robbed, and they leave him half dead at the side of this road. And we know that he's in full view of whoever else might walk down the road. They don't bother to hide his body. They don't bother to do anything else. They rob him, they leave, because they don't want anybody else coming along and catching them. So Jesus continues. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. Now, a priest was a man from the tribe of Levi. So if you, uh, if you know your Old Testament at all, you know about the Levites. The Levites were uh, the people who did the work of the temple, right? And the priests were the one who performed and oversaw all of the various sacrifices. They would receive all of the different offerings, uh, and they would basically run that part of, uh, at first, the tabernacle, which was a kind of a temporary structure, and then the temple when the temple was built in Jerusalem. And they were highly holy men. God had set them apart for this task. And a Levite was also a member of the tribe of Levi, but they were not priests. 
So uh, all priests were Levites, not all Levites were priests, but the Levites had their own jobs to do in the tabernacle and in the temple. And a lot of times uh, they were responsible for being guards or they would be musicians or singers. They would be teachers. And some of them would also be lawyers. They would study the law. And the law for Levites was incredibly strict because they were doing the work of the temple and God had set them apart from all the rest of Israel. Right? We had 12 tribes of Israel. Levites, you're over here. Everybody else is over here. Levites, you're set apart. And we can read in the Old Testament several places the laws for the Levites. And a lot of times, uh, again, we see very, how very strict these laws are concerning even being in contact with other people. And next week, we're going to take a look at just how strict those laws are. But these guys lived a very strict and religious and holy life. And they passed by on the other side. Then we meet Samaritan. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Can you just picture this? Can you picture this guy finding somebody laying half dead on the road, and he he goes to him and he starts bandaging up his wounds and oil and wine were used for healing purposes and he was pouring oil and wine in to disinfect the wound and to soothe the wound. Uh, those are the things that, that oil and wine did. And then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. Now we don't know if Samaritan was riding that animal at the time. Possibly he was, because the animal would be a little more steady uh, going down this treacherous road than a human being would. But regardless of whether he was riding the animal or not, he places man on the back of this animal and takes him to an inn. And again, we don't know how far man has gotten in this journey. It's a 17-mile road between Jerusalem and Jericho, and there's not much kind of in the middle. So it might have been at the beginning. It might have been in the middle. He could have traveled as far as 17 miles. He might have only traveled three miles. But the fact is, he didn't leave. He didn't leave the man alone. He didn't say, oh, let me go for help. He didn't say a prayer over him and hope that everything was going to be okay. He placed him on the animal and took him to the inn. I want to tell you a few things about Samaritan. Because Samaritan is a really interesting story and it's a really interesting person that Jesus brings into this story. The nation of Israel the people of Israel that God had brought together through Abraham, that nation split into two during the reign of King Solomon. And some of you are familiar with King Solomon. He was the wisest king ever. But they split into two. Ten of the 12 tribes became Israel, and they occupied the northern part of the region, including Jerusalem. 
and I'm sorry, not including Jerusalem. The other two tribes became Judah, and they occupied the southern areas, including Jerusalem. The capital of Israel was Samaria. So we've got Jerusalem on this side, we've got Samaria on the other side. And eventually, the people of Israel had done so many things that displeased God and sinned in so many ways that God allowed them to be conquered by the Assyrians in 722 BC. And the Assyrians came and they took Israel captive and they sent them into exile to Assyria, except for some of them. Those who lived in the capital city of Samaria remained because well, the Assyrians needed somebody to serve them. So they kept those people there and they made them slaves or they made them servants, they made them workers. And the Assyrians then moved into Samaria. And this is where it kind of gets uh, to the point of, of the story. The, the Jews eventually started marrying and having children with the Assyrians. Now, God's commandment was very clear at that time that the people of Israel were only to marry with other people of Israel. And, and in most cases, even within the same tribe, you were supposed to marry. So for these particular Jews to marry outside of their tribe, was a horrible, horrible thing. It was so horrible that the rest of the Hebrews, the rest of Israel, started hating what they called the Samaritans. They wouldn't even call them Hebrews. They wouldn't call them Jews. They wouldn't count them as uh, members of Israel. They're Samaritans now. And this hatred kind of kept building and kept building. And the reason that's usually given for the animosity is, is religious beliefs. And we don't know what that's like in the United States. They had different religious practices. They both believed in God. They both came from Abraham. They both knew God's law and God's word. Where they differed was that Israel, the Hebrews, they took the law and the prophets and the teachings of the rabbis as their authority. The Samaritans only took the Pentateuch. The Pentateuch is the first five books of the Old Testament. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, and Numbers. I know. Pausing for dramatic effect. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, he's going up on his lines. Somebody give him the script. Um, so that, so they, they believe that only the first five books of what we call our Old Testament were the authority. And they lived strictly by that. These guys believed that the law and the prophets and the rabbi, uh, the rabbi teachings were authorities. That was one of the big differences. 
The other big difference was where they worshiped God. And we have never seen any problems like that in the United States of America. Where they worshiped God was another big source of contention. The Jews believed and lived that Jerusalem was the city of God. And they built their temple there, and they worshiped there, and they sacrificed there, and they brought their offerings there. The Samaritans believed and they lived that the city of God was on uh, a different place. So they believed that uh, Mount Gerizim was where they were supposed to build their temple and worship and sacrifice and bring their offerings. And the reason that they said Mount Gerizim was the place of God is because in the first five books of the Old Testament, Mount Gerizim was the place where Moses had placed the people of Israel, he placed them on two different mountains. And he said, one mountain is, you're going you're gonna to pronounce curses, and one mountain, Mount Gerizim, you're going to pronounce blessings. You're going to get the blessings of God from Mount Gerizim. So naturally, because they don't go past the book of Numbers, David's not in the equation here, none of the kings are in the equation here, Mount Gerizim, that's the holy place. And this animosity continued to grow and to fester for hundreds, if not over a thousand years. And it's still festered even after Jesus. But the Jews hated the Samaritans, hated them, couldn't stand them. Not only did they hate them, they hated them so much that if they had to travel between wherever they were, if they had to travel through Samaria, they would walk around it. They would add hours or days to their journey just to avoid walking in Samaritan soil. That's how much they hated the Samaritans. So these religious differences caused this hatred and this animosity. And Jesus introduced a Samaritan who had compassion. How could Jesus say anything good about a Samaritan? But this is the person that Jesus introduces into this story. He's the one that comes to help. He's the one who comes and has compassion on this man. And he takes him and he binds his wounds and he takes him to this inn and he stays with him. He doesn't just drop him off. He stays in the room, in the inn with man. And then when he needs to depart, he goes to the innkeeper, and the innkeeper's the last character of this story. He gives the innkeeper two denarii, and next week we'll talk about what that was worth. But he takes two denarii, and he hands it to the innkeeper, and he says, I gotta go. I don't wanna go, but I gotta go take care of this guy for as long as you need to, Spend whatever money you need to spend to make sure he gets better. 
And if you spend more than what I just gave you, I will make it right when I come back through town. When I come back this way, I will pay you whatever extra you have spent. Just make sure that he is healed. Make sure that he is well. Make sure that he is taken care of. We have man, some robbers. We have priest, Levite, Samaritan, innkeeper. If you know anything about storytelling, if you know anything about uh, performing, uh, every one of these people has their own backstory. Every one of these people has their own history that led them to that point where they're encountering this situation. The really cool thing about Jesus and his storytelling is he lets us fill in a lot of that backstory ourselves. So when we look at man, we might fill in a lot of our own backstory. When we look at Samaritan, when his listeners looked at Samaritan, they most certainly filled in a backstory. And do you think they were happy to have Samaritan involved in this story? I don't think so. Each of their stories, each of their actions had an impact. And next, uh, not next week, but in two weeks, we're going to take a look at what that impact was. We're going to try to start figuring out the purpose of Jesus telling this story. And we've heard this story. If you've been in church, you've heard this story a dozen times, at least. You've heard it in Sunday school, and you've heard it uh, preached, and you've heard it in classes, and you've seen it on uh, Jesus of Nazareth, right? And he tells the story. But there is so much more going on than just be like the Samaritan. Jesus tells his stories to transform his listeners. Jesus tells his stories because he doesn't want you to stay the same. He wants you to change, and he wants you to do something that is going to be pleasing to God. And in two weeks, we're going to take a look, and we're going to start exploring the story and what happened and why it is so important that Jesus told it in the way that he told it, using the characters that he used. I am not going to be here next week. Uh, Pastor Ken Keller is going to be here to deliver the message of, uh, I believe it's titled, Peace in a Troubled World, is going to be his message. Uh, Ken is like me. He got the call to uh, enter ministry later in life. Um, he started out as a youth minister, which is the same as me. Then he became a pastor of a church. Um, and I'm really excited for you all to hear his message. He's been with the Brethren in Christ for about 25 years now. Um, and I pray that uh, you are blessed by his message. But for now, would you pray with me? Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you so much. We thank you for today. We thank you that it is today. And we thank you that we are alive, that we are breathing because you allow us to breathe. Father, we thank you for this morning that we're able to gather peacefully, without fear, to worship you, 
to learn more about who you are, about who your Son is, about who the Holy Spirit is. Father, we ask that as we take a look at this story that your Son told so well, we ask that we can take a look at these people, we can take a look at their actions, and we can see what it is that you expect from us as followers of Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for uh, Bill Reed being here this morning. We thank you for the work of Gideon International. We thank you that uh, they are seeing transformation just by witnessing, just by providing your word. And Father, we ask that you would uh, show us individually as a congregation uh, how we can support that ministry, how we can get the word of, of God into more hands, how we can see more people transformed by reading the things that Jesus did and the things that Jesus said. Father, I ask uh, your blessing on next week's service and on uh, Pastor Ken as he uh, prepares for next week. I ask that you would uh, open hearts, open minds, and uh, let his visit be a blessing to Morning Hour Chapel. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As we head out into the world this morning and this week to work, to school, uh, to whatever that we're doing, uh, especially if we're retired and we don't have set schedules, whatever we're doing, I pray that you will share your story of Jesus Christ with people. Be the storytellers that Jesus is. Let them know what Jesus has done for you. God bless you this morning.